0: Hi, my name is Nina Moore, and I am a storyteller. I like to write stories uh, to hopefully make people think.
1: Hello, and welcome to Obehe podcast. I'm your host, Obehe, 14 and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now, let's get started with this episode.
0: Even though my stories are uh, fiction, I like to present them in a way to make people think about certain life
1: situations. That's very interesting. Storytelling, I love that. But now we're gonna actually start from you. We need to know you now, because as you will read under here, everyone has a story to share. So we're going to be enjoying your story. First of all, Where were you born? Were you born in the city where you currently stay or did you come there from somewhere? Help us understand your background.
0: Um, I was born here in the United States. I was born here uh, and um, I currently live (laughs) here. Although I do have family from all over, uh, I do currently stay in the United States. And um, in regards to storytelling, uh, I don't know if you're, from, if you're familiar with the Bible. However, in the Bible, uh, there's uh, a group of friends who took their friend to go see Jesus when he was in the house to go get healed, and they had to carry him. And the thing about it is, once they got to where Jesus was, um, there was a long line of people outside the house waiting to see him, waiting to be healed and they got discouraged because the line was so long. And they wanted to turn back around, but one of the friends, instead of turning back around, he he looked looked up at the sky and then his eyes fell upon the roof of the house. And he said, let's go through the roof. He thought outside the box because no one else thought to do that. So he thought outside the box and he thought to go through the roof. And that's what they did in order to get their friend healed. I like to think that I'm his descendant. I'm the one that thinks to go through the roof, you know, to go a different route, to uh, take an alternative way. That's what I like to believe.
1: All right, now um, you're going to help me understand something, Nina. Um, so tell me a little bit about your adolescent, your young adolescent years. So. What do you see? Because we were not there. So help us see what you see. Help us understand where you grew up.
0: Uh, Well, uh, like I said, I grew up in the States. And um, as a child, uh, my father, he did truly encourage my imagination. He did encourage me to write more. I remember when we had a contest at um, the grammar school I was at, and I wrote a short story to enter into the contest. And the teacher didn't put my story in because she didn't believe I wrote it. And I uh, went back and I told my father. And he went up to the school to, you know, ask her about that. And by that time, you know, she apologized, but it was too late because the deadline had passed. Um, That's when I realized that sometimes people, when they read your stories, even if it's good, be surprised how they question if you wrote it you know as though no one can have an imagination that grand even at that age that could produce a story such as that Now, don't get me wrong it wasn't mind-boggling but i guess it was beyond my years in her opinion for me to have uh written it and uh that's why i encourage children now i i'm a a strong advocate for children in the arts. Go ahead and pursue your dreams. Go ahead, music, arts, you know, acting, whatever it may be, please by all means pursue it because you never know, we may have the next Gordon Parks, you know, with photography and things like that. The next August Wilson, you know, something like that. I, I definitely encourage people, children in particular to pursue their gifts, their passions.
1: Thank you so much for that. I'm interested in that story. So, uh, your teacher didn't believe that you wrote that story? No. That's good. Tell us more about that. Why did he, why he or she didn't believe that you wrote the story?
0: She didn't believe I wrote it because uh, she thought that, I, even though I'm not tooting my own horn here, I was a smart kid, don't get me wrong, but. She, she just thought because of the subject matter, it was about, I still remember what it was about. It was about uh, tooth fairies um, being unemployed, <laughs> how children were beginning not to believe in tooth fairies anymore and had to find a job. <laughs> I guess she, she believes it too, the woman in background. Um, and um, she was like, how did you come up with that? And I just thought, you know, when we get to a certain age, of course, when we lose our teeth, when we're younger, we believe in the tooth fairies. If we were told to, you know, just put it under your pillow and the tooth fairy is going to come and pick it up. However, when we get to a certain age, we lose our, we know better. It's our parents putting the money under there. So I was just thinking, what if the tooth fairies actually existed? And as we got older, the, you know, we stopped believing. However, we were telling our younger siblings that there was no tooth fairy so therefore they stopped believing and it put the tooth fairies out of work and when she saw that how i wrote that story uh she was like you couldn't have written that no 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 this this is too advanced for you and i was like i did i kept trying to plead my case i said i did i did and she said no and she took it she actually took it balled it up and threw it in the garbage she did now this is before computers <laughs> i couldn't go home and reprint it i mean let I me mean, literally you know press the button i had to Rewrite actually. Um, and it was only one copy. And she balled it up and she threw it away. And I was so hurt by that. I was like, what? I couldn't believe she did that. So I went home. I was upset. And I told my dad. And I told him what she did. And unfortunately, you know, he was at the type of job where, you know, you could just call off and, and go in. And, you know, call off the next day and say, I'm sorry, I'm going to be late. He had to actually schedule the time off to go in. So he came in like maybe he came up to the school two or three days later It was something like that. And he asked the teacher, why did she do that? And he said she did write the story. You know, he confirmed that I wrote it. And she apologized, but by then it was it was too late because the contest had already passed. And um, he did ask her, why didn't you believe she wrote that? And, and he and she was just like, well, I just, I, a child with that imagination. And he gave her this look, like, what do you mean by that? You know, because, um, I don't get me wrong, I'm not racist, far from it. It's, oh, that's what most racists say, isn't it? <laughs> but I'm not. Um, she was a, a, a white teacher, and she was teaching at a uh, 100% black urban school, and um, I guess she just didn't believe that a Black child could produce such a story, could have such an imagination. So therefore, her reaction was to deny me entry into the contest and then actually ball it up and throw my story away in front of me.
1: So we can say that she was ignorant. She didn't know. Even though she was a teacher, she didn't know the, the, the possibility that children has all yeah.
0: right. And unfortunately, that's still going on today. That's still going on today. Um, and not with whites. It was huge as white in my case um, that are in sense of Deny them their talents. Deny them their chance to shine. Deny them that they don't give them the opportunity to do it. And when they do finally have the opportunity. And unfortunately, also on the flip side, a lot of our children don't have advocates on their behalf. Like my dad. They don't have the parents or the guardians to come and fight on their behalf. Unfortunately, they don't. And that's also a sad thing.
1: Thank you for that. So, I was reading uh, in, your, in your short description uh, where you didn't make mention of, of course, you did refer to it just now, so that your father encouraged your imagination. Uh, that is something powerful. I want you to talk more about that. How did your father do that? What did he do to help you uh, improve your imagination? And today, you are a writer, you are a storyteller. And I find that to be very interesting.
0: He encouraged me to read. He did. Um, If I wanted to do something, like go outside and play with my friends, he would give me a book to read, and then I had to write a book report on it to prove that I read it. Um, Then he would question me about certain details, also to further prove that I read it. Um, That's what he would do. He would encourage me to read because he told me that uh, people can never take away your education. They can't do that. And even though math is not my strong suit, I mean, once you put me in algebra, you lost me. Um, Reading was my backup. English uh, was my backup. And he just encouraged me to read. Don't be afraid to pick up a book and read. And I would constantly go to the library and take out books uh, to read. I don't even know if kids go to the library anymore. Do they do that? Do children visit the library? It's sad if they don't. Everything is so online now. Everything is so right there at your hand. I don't even know if they know about the Dewey Decimal System. You know, is it the Dewey Decimal System? That I hope I pronounced. I said that correctly. The Dewey System. You know, where the the card catalog, if you will. Um, how they have to go there and look up the different topics if you want certain books and, and that's how they're you know category, put in certain categories. I don't even know if they do that anymore. It, to me it's such a um, a lost art. And I think we become spoiled by technology that we've forgotten certain things like that, like actually going to the library. and also learning how to write in cursive. They don't even teach that in schools anymore. you know Now when it comes to signing your name, uh, a lot of children nowadays, they print. They don't know how to actually use cursive. If you were to write a cursive letter and give it to uh, some children now, they, they, they're not able to read it because they don't, they, they're not being taught cursive anymore. Or at least here in the United States, they're not. Or I'll put it like this, in Illinois. I can only speak about what I know. I can only speak about what's familiar. And I know Illinois is not teaching that anymore. And to me, that's a lost art. Because we learned that, we also learned calligraphy. Um, but again, technology is so advanced, and my opinion is kind of dumbing us down
1: a bit. But you know that's <laughs>
0: on that.
1: That's very. That's very tough there. That <laughs> can actually open a are you pod-
0: Excluding your podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's, of course, we are here to talk. We are here to think also, and we are here to reflect. Uh, that can actually open a Pandora for uh, for exploration. Uh, in that, <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what is actually the consequence of the time that we are living in because we have never lived in this time before. Because we are always progressing uh, towards a certain destination that we have never been before. Because there was never a time in human history that we have this much technology, you know. There was never a time in our history that we had this, we have experienced these things. So we don't know what is the consequence of this, but we're just experiencing it.
0: (laughs) To me, to me, and again, this is just my opinion. Don't get me wrong. There are some positives to technology. Of course there are. There's some great things to technology. However, at the same time, we do have some drawbacks to it also, again, not being able, or not going to the library like we used to. Um, there are not as many libraries as there were when I was coming up. Um, personally, when I read a book, I like an actual book in my hand uh, versus reading online. I mean, it's okay for the moment, but to read a book, i rather have it in, in my hand. Even when the article is too long, I tend to print it out because I'd rather have it, hold it in my hand. And again, um, just to Cursive, the signing of the name, other little things. Um, Music, it's okay. YouTube is fine. I love YouTube. Don't get me wrong. However, um, remember the days? did you ever have to wait for your favorite song to come on the radio before you got a chance to record it? You know, you had the the tape recorder all set and then you record. (laughs) It's those little things. We learned so much. Patience, (laughs) we learned back then. We did. Now everything is quick. It's quick, and if you have to wait, you get frustrated. You want because you used to having everything at hand. You used to having everything within a time frame, and I think we become spoiled with that. And I just don't think that's a good thing. I think that every now and then. We should just reflect on certain things. And even when when COVID hit and things were shut down, it actually gave us a chance to be with ourselves and be with our family. Now, unfortunately, it was because of that. Don't get me wrong. However, at the same time, to me, the upside was you got a chance to spend time with yourself and with your loved ones more, because before COVID, we rarely not too many of us time with each other or even ourselves. We were always doing something to occupy our minds. You know, as some of it was mundane. So now that COVID came, it gave us time to reflect. And unfortunately, it also gave us more access to technology (laughs) because we were online a lot more. And my thing is, I, I just think that we need a break from technology. Every now and then, we should just take a break. And go, like I said, instead of Googling certain things, go out there, go to the library and look it up. I just, you know, j- go get a. I don't Do they print newspapers anymore? Is everything online? I haven't seen a newspaper in a while. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? An actual newspaper you can hold? Um, I haven't seen that in a while. So it's just the little things that I miss. And technology, again, it has its perks. Don't get me wrong. It has its perks. I love it, but at the same time, I do miss some of the old school things.
1: All right, that, that's true. That is legitimate. That is a right to think about, actually. And now, um, you were talking of maybe during the COVID nineteen, it gave people the time to to reflect. Tell me about your experience. What did you reflect on at the time? Oh wow!
0: Um, during COVID nineteen, I reflected on a lot because. Uh, I did lose some people that I knew from COVID. And some of my friends lost people, you know, loved ones close to them. And it just made me reflect on life, um, how blessed I am. And I thank God that he did not let it affect me like that. You know, to the sense where if, if I did get it, I didn't know I had it. Or those around me that got it, really close that got it. Um, I thank God that he was merciful and did not take them away from it. Um, However, at the same time, he did let my imagination roam. I did write part two to my Hunter 5 series. And I'm also in the process of turning a couple of my books into scripts and also working on another script. So I was being somewhat creative during It did stir my imagination again i got to thinking about
1: certain things and i just put it to paper actually i have a curiosity and the curiosity is uh uh, whether your father was reading stories for you because now we know that uh, he encourages you to to read and you read but did he have to read for you did he tell you any story do you remember any story that uh, he might have told you when you were still uh, young anything you can share there
0: He would, no, he basically, he wouldn't tell me any stories. He would just give me books to read, books that he had already read. Uh, He would give them to me to read. And um, he would tell me, and ask me what did I think about that. He'd ask me my opinion of that, you know, things like that. He never told me you know or created any stories no he didn't do that he just more so just encouraged me to read and then write he told me to do both
1: that's good that's good that's good now let's talk about what you do today you encourage uh you encourage youth to to read no yes uh so tell me about that help us understand a bit about
0: i just i write stories i uh have written for like a magazine or two I've submitted stories to, like, lo- local newspapers, things like that. Uh, that's, that's what I do. And hopefully, uh, my goal is for my stories to really get out there and be seen or read by a lot of
1: people. All right. So these stories that you write, are they in a the form of book or you, you write uh, articles or... Uh, help me understand, in what format can people get this material?
0: Um, they're in books. They're on Amazon, they're in books. Um, For example, one of the short stories that I wrote, uh, titled Gabriel, it was about the angel Gabriel and how he befriended a little boy that saw him. He didn't know he was seen, he was just standing there. He didn't know he could be seen until the little boy spoke to him. And um, they became friends. But the thing about Gabriel is, even though he looked like a little boy to the little boy that spoke with him, his name is Randy. um, When Gabriel is standing in a place where he cast a shadow, you can see his true form. You know, the angel with the wings, muscular and all that. You can see Gabriel's true form if he were to cast a shadow. But if he was not in that particular situation, um, you could uh, he would just look like a, a normal little boy, just an average little boy. And again, he befriended Randy. They became really close friends. Um, but then he found out why Gabriel was there. And um, hey, you have to read the story for the rest.
1: <laughs> Another story I
0: wrote uh, was uh, is titled Hunter 5. And it's about uh, a very, a highly intelligent young African-American boy. His name was Hunter. I wrote that story because I was tired of seeing our young African-American boys uh, on television as though they are not very smart. And if they are smart, it's more so street smart to do illegal things and really in situations where it it, just desolate. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I, I didn't like that. They were really showing our young Black men in a negative light. And I didn't like that. So I created Hunter 5. And I also have a son. It's loosely based on him. Um, Hunter 5 is very, he's like a genius, very, very good. And he's in a basic school, even though the school knows he's very smart. Um, he gets the attention of a uh, organization um, that's a, a subsidiary of the United States government that takes these brilliant children to help them research certain crime scenes. And the organization's name is Gabriel, but it's, you know it stands for something. <laughs> and he, they get him, they recruit him. And in doing so, they moved him out of the hood, um, set his mother up in a nice house, had her to get a nice job, and as long as he continued to work for them. So it was, I set that up and I I think it's a cool story. And again, it's on Amazon, it's called Hunter Five. And then I also wrote the story, Abigail and Henry. Now I wrote Abigail and Henry, that's based on friendships that I've lost. Um, And it's about Abigail, who's a vampire and Henry who's a werewolf. Now those are my two favorite monsters. And in Hollywood, they're always fighting each other. But in this particular case, they're taking care of each other. Henry watches over Abigail during the day. And Abigail watches over Henry when he transforms, you know, she makes sure he doesn't get out. And that's actually how they met. He attacked her and she overcame him and took him to her house and kind of tied him up until he changed back. You know, he went back normal. And they became such good friends. And... Um, Again, I based that story off of lost friendships because if you were to read the story, hopefully you figure out why. The other, the latest story I wrote is called Sympathy for the Devil. Again, these are all available on Amazon. And it's about, people tend to look, well, I'll put it like this. People tend to look at the cover and they see it and they think that uh, the devil wants sympathy from us. And that's not true. I guess there's some truth to you can't judge a book by its cover. Um, he actually wants sympathy from God. He feels that since the Lord has forgiven men for all the sins they've done, and he constantly keeps forgiving them, why won't he forgive him? You know, he did this one thing, how come he won't forgive him? So he actually wants sympathy from God. And so I wrote that book, and uh, even though he wants sympathy from God, he can't stop being himself. You know he keeps doing stuff to make okay. Come on, you really want sympathy for the Lord, but you keep doing this stuff. So, but again, um, these are all available on Amazon.
1: Now, can you tell me if there is a central message that is running across these different books that you have written? And what would that message be, for example?
0: Entertainment. I want to entertain you. However, however, and or and yet, um, I want you to think. I want you to feel something after you read my stories. Um, And I don't mean confusion, either. Um, Empathize, if you will, with it. In some cases, sympathize. That's what I want you to do. I don't just write my stories to say, I wrote something. No, 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 no. I want you to read it, and I want you to think. And in some cases, I want you to be uncomfortable. Um, For example, with Sympathy for the Devil, the intro to it, uh, you can read a little snippet of it, again, on Amazon in the Look Inside feature. Some of the things that go on, if you were to continue to read it, because I think they only show like a couple of pages or something. But in the actual book, there are certain scenes that people have read. And they said, even though they know it's our history, you know, it's the, you know, United States of America history, they are not very comfortable with what I wrote, even though it's the truth. Well, the truth isn't always comfortable, even if it's in fiction. It's not always comfortable. However, I'm glad it made them uncomfortable because it also made them think and it also helped to propel my story along because it helped identify why certain people did what they did, even if it was in conjunction they, they they partner with the devil to do it it made them think would i have done that if i was in that situation i mean a lot of us think well if the devil presented himself and we knew it was him will we partner with him to do certain things now yes we can easily say no because that hasn't happened however the situations i put in the book you make you think twice about it once <laughs> you read it it, it it's there to entertain you, but again, it's there to make you think. And that's how I write my stories, even with Gabriel, the angel. Um, it was there to entertain you, but at the same time, after reading it, a lot of people were like, wow, I didn't expect that. Or even with Abigail and Henry, um, with the friendship that they had, the bond that they had, they didn't get along all the time. And yet at the end, people are like, wow, again, I, I, I didn't think I'd feel this way at the end, you know? So I want people to think a certain way, to feel a certain way when they read my stories. Whether it's uncomfortable, that's good. That means that I actually got to you and you actually took the time to concentrate on my story. And I like that.
1: Thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you, what do reader tell you after reading your book? I mean, what kind of feedback do you get sort of see if what you are projecting for them, if they are getting the message or how they are interpreting your work.
0: Some of them ask me, where did you get this from? How did you create this? I must admit, um, with the story Simply for the Devil, it was loosely based off the Rolling Stones song, because I always thought that was a cool rock song. (laughs) Um, With the story Gabriel, um my pastor was preaching. He's um, Bishop Edwin Walker, Friendly Temple Church of God in Christ. He was preaching and he was talking about angels, you know, the Lord and angels. And um, I just thought how cool. He, he mentioned how we can entertain angels unknowingly. And I just thought that was really cool to write something about that. And the people who read that story, Gabriel, they were like, Wow, can you imagine actually entertaining an angel and not knowing? And then once you do discover it is one, they, they wouldn't know how to act. And it's good that I gave it from a child's point of view because of the adventures that they went on. And as an adult, we may have done something totally different, you know. Um, and even with Abigail and Henry, again, with the friendship and the lost friendships, I the people who read that, they asked me, was it based on anything? And I did tell them it was based on friendships that I lost. Um, because of something that I did. I'm not going to blame it on youth, because even back then I knew better. Um, But it was based on things that I've done and and the friendship is no longer there. So they saw that and they related to it. And it was just like, wow, you're right. If they could turn back time, they wish they could find certain people. I mean, again, we have all this technology, but when we look for old friends that we want to connect with, we can't seem to find them for whatever reason. So... Um, they were saying how they felt that way too. How they can, If they wish they can go back in time and repair some of the friendships that they broke, you know. And again, with Hunter Five, they were saying how they like the fact that I am showing young Black men in a positive light. They like that because they were tired of seeing the, the typical, you know, stereotypical way that we are being shown. And I don't like that. There's more to young Black men than just drugs and violence, we have some very, very gifted, very intelligent, young Black men out here. And they just need a chance. But unfortunately, society sees a threat. And with Hunter 5, I wanted to change that. If he is a threat, it's because he's so intelligent. And you know you can't hang with him on that level versus his skin complexion.
1: Now, What is your old satisfaction for writing? Now, you see that you write not one, not two, you take to three books now, and I want to believe that you are writing more. Yes. Why do you write? I mean, what is your satisfaction at the end of the day? I
0: write because I think of my father and I think of my children. I know that my time is not forever. I mean, my time will be up. Sooner or later, I will leave this world. I want to leave something behind for future generations. I want my children and grandchildren and so on and so forth to be like your grandmother and great-grandmother or so on and so forth. You know, she wrote this. She wrote that. That's what I want to do. I want to leave behind a legacy. However, at the same time, it also entertains it gives me a chance to vent. Uh, it gives me a chance to create. And I like doing it.
1: Now, how do you manage to get the book out there? Okay, you did say that they are available in a, an Amazon, right? Eh? That's, yeah. that's correct. But do you do some marketing? Do you just leave it there? How, tell me about that.
0: And that's the good point. I want to do marketing. I don't, basically it's been word of mouth. I want to do marketing. I'm trying to think of again. I want to go through the roof. I want to think about out of the box ways to put it out there, Um, and yet that hasn't came to me yet. (laughs) How to do it? How to promote it? Uh, But I do want to put it out there. I'm just trying to think of ways to do so. I have looked at places and inquired with people on how to market my material, but to me, it's it's like what I've been given so far. It's it doesn't stand out. It's 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 just you know it's something I can do, and I'm like, well, I can. I thought of that, and I want something different. You know, my books are different. Therefore, I want a different approach to putting them out there. Um, but I haven't I haven't really thought of a way to do so, but I would I would love to really market them more. I really would. I really would.
1: All right, I think you should <laughs> because you should be able to get more out of it out of your effort. You deserve it. Thank All you. All right. You did talk of um, Reboot versus Remake. I don't know if you want to say something more about that.
0: I don't like it when they remake stories. For example, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The first one was with Gene Wilder, and they remade it with Johnny Depp, uh, uh, an updated version with Johnny Depp. I don't know why they would remake the classics. Like, for example, another one, Psycho. Psycho. They remade Psycho. And I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you remake classics when we have new material out here that we can definitely entertain? You see what I'm saying? Reboots are okay. For example, when I think of reboot, I think of the different Spider-Mans. Um, the different Batmans, you know, they're okay. They're okay. However, it's the remakes I have a, a problem with because why would you remake that? I just read somewhere. I think they're going to remake. Um, I think Exorcist is one, and they're thinking about remaking. Um, it's another one. I. I, I it's, it, it, it's gone. But they're thinking about remaking an, another uh, uh, movie. i What is? I can't remember what it was. But I know Exorcist is one, and there's another one. And I'm like, why would you remake the classics? To me, the originals are always good. Rarely, and, and I say rarely because I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. However, I have never seen a remake that was better than the original. Why touch the classics? That they're for reason. They're, they're great. They're good. But hey, Hollywood, I don't know, they they, they they want something new, they want something different, then why are you remaking it? We have so many talented writers out here. You know, so many, a diverse pool of writers. Why don't you go and search inside that pool and get something new, something different, something shown from a different point of view? For example, um, there was a movie called I think it was Let the Right One In. I believe that was it. And it was European. I think it was Swedish, European. It was something, Norwegian. Anyway, the original was European. I can't remember the country. And it was about a little girl that was a vampire. It was a different take on it, actually. And it was quite cool. I liked it. When they brought it to America, they remade it and completely messed it up, in my opinion. I'm like, see, why would you do that? Why would you mess that up? They could have did anything else. But they chose to... Um, they could have done anything else but they chose to do that and I'm like why, why would you do that again I, we have so much untapped talent in the world and because we don't have the right backing and people won't give us that opportunity we're rarely seen it's rarely you know access no one really gets a chance to see it And I think that's so unfair. I think that's so unfair because I'd rather see something original than a a remake. And in some cases, I'd rather see something original than a reboot. But again, that's that's just me.
1: (laughs) Thank you for that. Thank you for that clarification. There are a lot of uh, remake out there. (laughs) Okay, talking of uh, writing, storytelling, Uh, when you want to get out the best work out there, of course, take it in from your head and put it on the paper. I want you to tell me about the approach, your best approach to make sure that it works. How do you approach your writing?
0: I approach my writing, well, what what I do is, again, I start off with the what if. You know, that's the question I would ask myself. What if people no longer believed in the tooth fairy? What if she was real? and people no longer believed in her, what would she do? She would have to get a job. You know, that's what I asked myself when I was in school when I submitted that story. Um, What if I actually entertained an angel? What would I do? What would happen if someone actually entertained an angel? And they knew it was an angel. I mean, once they found out it was one, what would they do? What what would happen? What if uh, a werewolf and a vampire, instead of being enemies, what if they were friends? What if they took care of each other? What if they became dependent upon each other? How would that go? What would happen if that, if that happened? What if we show a young black and in, highly intelligent boy in a situation where he can help out society as a whole? What if we show him? And I mean, he's urban. He wasn't Born and raised in the suburbs, in a high-end suburb. He's an urban kid. His mother is working and, you know, living from paycheck to Monday. What if we showed that? You know, what if that was written? That would be really cool. And again, what if the devil truly wanted sympathy from God? What would happen about that? Would he would he actually try to change himself? Could he stop doing what he's doing to actually get sympathy from God? What if? So those are the, the questions I would ask myself. What if? And that's what I continually do with every story that I create. What if? What if this happened? What if that? That's the question I would ask.
1: All right. Thank you so much for that. I, I like that. Uh, now, I want you to tell me about the emotion that you um, that you touch, because I'm going to be touching the strings of the people, um, the heartbeats of the people. So I want you to tell me about the power of emotion in your writing. How do you use emotion uh, in, your, in your writing? Help me with that.
0: I use emotion by writing things that I know and things that are familiar, and I just tweak it to fit the particular book or story, you know, that I'm writing. For example, again with Abigail and Henry, regarding the lost friendships, um, I took those memories of the different people that I've lost, and you know, those relationships that I've lost, and I applied it to the story. I put it inside the story. I want people, when they read that, again, I want them to sense that when they read you know, the, the dynamics between the two, Abigail and Henry, and even the other people within the story, I want them to think this is really cool and perhaps maybe they can relate to it in some way. I project, in a sense, I project past experiences Within them, and I put it in a way again where I hope it's relatable to the reader.
1: <laughs> That's good. Um, I think I asked you a question of the car. No, I didn't ask you about the character. Uh, how do you do? How do you pick them? Because now we have uh, Angel Gabriel. There was a boy, no? Who the angel was, was uh, yes. interacting with, right?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Ah, okay, okay. So what did you tell me about the characters in your story? How do you pick them? How do you choose them? Why do you choose those specific one for your story?
0: Um with Gabriel, I thought of the little boy. I have a son. I do have a son. And um I thought that if an angel came to him, I was just thinking how would he act? You know, cuz My son likes to travel. He likes to do different things. He likes to have fun, as most kids do. And um, I thought that if the angel were to come to him, what are certain things they would do? So I put that in the story. Uh, I did ask him. He was much younger. And I asked him, what would you do if an angel came to you, you know, and I, I talked to him and he was just saying, oh, I would do this or I would do that. I wouldn't believe he was angel. he had to show me. And then that's when I said, he'd have to show you. And he said, yeah. <laughs> and then as I was talking to him, he gave me the idea of the shadow. You know, when he saw the shadow of the angel, um, how, again, he looks like this little boy. But his shadow is not a little boy. It's actually a mighty, you know, it's a muscular angelic warrior here, that's what we're dealing with. And um, I put that in there. So I would ask, for example, I'd ask my daughters questions um, regarding, you know, certain points of the story, certain aspects, if it's things that I'm a little stuck on, I would ask them how would they do it or how would they relate or, you know, react to it. They give me their answer. I'd ask my husband, he would chime in. I would even ask some of my friends and then they would give me their point of view. And I would take it, tweak it, and implement it
1: in the story. All right. That's good. That, that's that's great. Because now you are gathering the information and then you're going to project back to the same people, you know? the audience, the reader at the end of the day. Yes, yes. I find that interesting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because you want, you know what, you want, even though it's fiction, even though it's fiction, and, and but this is just my opinion, you still want realism in there. You don't want it to be, you know. Too far out there. At least with me, I want my stories to have a hint of realism in there. For example, Abigail and Henry, a werewolf and a vampire. We know they don't exist. However, they both had jobs. (laughs) They both. He was a a janitor at the school she was teaching at. She taught high school. You know, people to get their uh, their GED. You know, she taught high school. And I I want to have just a hint of realism in there. I want them, again, I want them to be relatable. I do. I don't want you to feel distant from my character. I want you to see that they have, they deal, you know, they have issues too. They deal with things too, bills and all that stuff. They deal with it too. And they have secrets that they want kept, you know, undercover too. So I, I, I try to make them as relatable as possible.
1: Thank you for that. Now, have you have some friends who maybe uh, like your work, and they too also like to write, but they are not writing. I'm trying to understand. Do we know why other people don't write? Because we, I think we all should be writing. Okay, not be, not all of us, but many of us should be writing.
0: Um, I do have some friends that are very artistic, but they would always tell me writing was my bag. <laughs> Uh, they, they, they really never, <laughs> I'm just thinking about, myself. they never, uh, really got into writing like that. I mean, they're very talented in their own way. The artists, musicians, you know, um, tailors, you know, things like that. Um, but when it came to writing, they said they never, it, 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 and some of them said they've tried. They just never got the uh, got the hang of it. And they said their imagination never really took them in that area where they did blossom, like I said, with uh, drawing, music, you know, clothes, you know, designing, things like that. But when it came to writing, they were just like, that's a special breed when you're a writer, because you have to again, you have to think of things that other people don't really entertain often and you have to present it in a way where other people aren't accustomed to it being presented. And they were just saying, writing is not my ministry. That's you. That's you, Nina. <laughs> so, I know I don't really have. <laughs> no, my friends don't. They don't write. Not like that, no.
1: But what about you? Is writing hard for you? Is it difficult for you to write? Um,
0: every now and then, of course, everyone has experienced a writer's block. Everyone has experienced that, uh, and that's again. That's when I go to my family and friends, and I, I talk to them, and you know, I, I work through it. It's not, it's not difficult to write. However, even though I ask my question, the what if, I mean, you know, I ask myself the question, the what if. Um, again, you want to make sure that it's not, it, again, in my opinion, that it's too far out there, and I want it to make sense. For example, I am working on a couple of scripts that are not books and they do have the what if factor. And I like the fact that they, you know, they are different. And again, when I experience the, when I come to the point where I experience again, the writer's block, I just go to my family and my friends and I tell them what I'm trying to do. And yet I can't seem to get over this hump. And they help me. I will give them that. They do, they help me get through it and I'm able to continue. However, in some cases, there have been times where I just had to just step away for a day or two, read and refresh eyes, go back, retweet it, you know, retweet it a little bit. And so there have been some times where that's helped also.
1: All right. now looking at the larger community, the African-American community, um, how much opportunity are out there for for writers, for example, people who are writing, who want to make a living uh, also from, from their writing? Because here in this podcast, we try to encourage people to make a living for what they are doing. It is important, it is legitimate, it is the right thing to do that from what you do, you could earn from it. Now, but looking at the African-American community, the one that you know, uh, how much is this opportunity for people who are writing?
0: Uh Mm. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) This is just my opinion. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's not that much. It really isn't, in my opinion. We don't... You can have a mind-blowing story. Oh, my God. However, it doesn't matter if no one wants to give you opportunity to present it to them. Unfortunately, in the industry, in the entertainment industry, a lot of people don't want to read your stuff. Um, when they don't ask for it. And I get that, I understand that. And when you try to get representation, you know, an agent, an attorney, you know, someone like that, to represent you, to present the, you know, your story. Unfortunately, they don't want to represent you because who are you? Your name doesn't ring a bell. Uh, Bernina Moore, who's that? You know what I'm saying? It, It doesn't ring a bell. They can Google it, my books will come up, Um, but that doesn't mean that they wanna share my story. It's it's sad because even black people in the industry, when you try to present to them, most of the time they don't wanna help you either because you're unknown, you are, you're unknown and they won't give you that chance. And again, it could be a top notch script story. I mean, you could have your pitch down. I mean, it's every I is dotted, every T is crossed in your pitch. But because your name is not ringing a bell, unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to give you that chance. Now, God bless those who do take a chance on you. And you'd be surprised because even Dave Chappelle have said this. When he pitched his story, you know, his, his sitcom, to different networks, they didn't want to take a chance on him because Dave Chappelle, who is that? Remember, his, his name was just... I mean, come on, it's not a household name now. When Comedy Central, when Comedy Central picked him up, and you can Google this, um, of course, that's when he became the Dave Chappelle. But then... Another uh, uh, station, television network, all of a sudden wanted to show his, um, his, his uh, show in a rerun, I believe. And he got upset, and rightfully so, because he went to them first, and they turned him down. They turned him down. But once his name became Dave Chappelle, he's the Dave Chappelle, now they wanted to reap of what he worked so hard to get. And unfortunately, some people do face that, just like with the movie Precious, I believe. Uh, Lee Daniels was looking for funding, and I believe he went to Oprah Winfrey and Tyler Perry at one point for it, and they said no, they wouldn't help him. So he makes it, and now it's getting all this acclaim. The movie Precious is getting all this acclaim. That's when... Tyler and Oprah came back to Lee and gave him so much money after the fact, after. And my thing is, where were they before? And that's a problem that I have, again, with our people being in the industry. Tyler Perry has this production company, this studio. I mean, high-end. And all he does is produce his own stuff. He doesn't produce anybody else's. He just produced his own. He doesn't give writers a chance. He just writes his own stuff and he produces his own stuff. And hey, it's your studio. Do what you want. I'm just saying he should be a little bit more open to other writers. Even with Oprah. I'm sure she has people coming to her day in and day out. I get it. However, I think that she should also be a little bit more receptive to new talent. You know what I'm saying? Because don't get me wrong. Don't bag everybody to come up to you. If you don't like it, you don't like it. That's your opinion. I'm not mad at you. However, at the same time, don't wait for their stuff to take off like precious. And again, you can Google this. I'm not making this up. Um, And then you want to get on the bandwagon. So I do. I just have issues. And those are just two examples that I know of. I'm sure there are more. I just know of those. And again, they may be helping, in a sense, uh, people within the industry to a certain extent. But to me, they're not backing them like they fully should because they are in a position to do so. And don't get me wrong. It's not just them. It's not just them. There are other people, too, that can step up to the plate and help. We got, you know, so I'm I'm just saying we have, um, for example, we have Shonda Rhimes. Uh, Is it Ava DuVernay? I'm sorry if I'm slaughtering her last name. But I have to give it to those two women. They have helped more than the previous two that I mentioned. But at the same time, we need more than just those two women. You know what I'm saying? We need more than just those. Because, again, it's a lot of untapped talent out here. And people, hey, if you don't have the name or if you don't have the right connections... Unfortunately, it's very rare that you go through the ceiling.
1: It's very rare. Is the problem in the recruitment uh, because the people just, um, those who are in the position of, of power or of opportunity, just ignore them or because uh, the presentation is not, uh, it's not well enough? Why are I- a lot of talent out there that are wasting? Is it because nobody taking notice of it or they want them to succeed first before they can associate with them?
0: The presentation or, or the pitch can be crap. Let's just say it is. There's stuttering, whatever, typos. But if it's a good story, come on now. You read the material. The presentation, the pitch may be crap, but the actual story is on point. Are you really going to not? buy a high-end car, I don't know, let's just say a Bentley, are you not going to buy that Bentley at a record-breaking price? I mean, this is a deal on a Bentley. You're going to refuse it because of a a little scratch on the side? (laughs) You're not going to do, you're not going to buy this, they're offering you this Bentley. We know Bentley's cost some money. They're offering you this Bentley for $5,000. That's it. You're not going to buy a Bentley because of a scratch for $5,000? Are you serious? Now, I'm not saying that the story's being offered like that. I'm just saying that's an example. You would not turn down that Bentley for $5,000, even though that's, that's the only thing wrong with it is a scratch. You buy that Bentley. By hook or by crook, you get that 5K, you buy that Bentley. Don't be like that with stories. Don't be like that with people who are trying to break into the industry. Just because a few things are off, that doesn't mean you should hold it against them. Because my thing is, that's where mentoring comes in. Help them. Guide them. Be there for them. Partner with them. Collaborate. But don't just totally dismiss it. Don't do it. Because you may be dismissing a Dave Chappelle.
1: And it happened all the time, yeah, yeah, it happened all the time, because right. uh, a, a saying in my place in Nigeria is that those who have the head do not have the cap, those who have the cap they don't have the head mm-hmm. it, it It basically literally means that there are some people that are very brilliant, but they don't have the resources to be able to pull their uh, to be able to pull through. but there are a lot of people that have a lot of resources. Uh, Sometimes they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to uh, work with it. Uh, what that basically mean or should mean is that we all need to collaborate. You need to help me so I can also help you. In this way, we are both helping the society. Because if we don't take care of those uh, wasted talent, we are, we are cheating the world. Because those could, be, those could be people that will bring a lot of light to the world. But if we ignore them because they don't have the possibility to be like the way we want them to be just now, they, they are not going to be anything. And they have lost, but we have also lost, just because we didn't know. All right, talking of opportunity, what do you think should be made available for people, for beginner artists or those artists who are not able to climb the ladder of success just yet?
0: i think there should be some type of mentoring program
1: that should be available um,
0: especially in low-income areas to get that exposure unfortunately by the time um, certain people of certain standing you know living conditions find out the program was either about to end or it's truly saturated and i don't think that's fair other people have Already had a jump start on it, you know, and I think that that's just not fair. I remember years ago, years ago, they had a, a this. Oh my God, so many years ago. Uh, there was a project management program that they were offering, and uh, if you were if you qualify, you had to be under a certain income. And at the time, I was unemployed. And um, I didn't find out about the project management program until after it had been around for a couple of years because of the area that I lived in, it was low income. And my thing is, I'm like, how come I didn't find out about this? And the lady at the um, uh, social service office, she was just like, well, you know what? This has been out for years. It's been out for years, but it's just been made available to me. So I say that to say this, when it comes to putting those type of programs out there, um, writing programs, arts programs, any programs that will help someone become better or hone their skills in a sense, uh, same thing, um, it should be made available and made known to all at the same time. Now, sometimes that deals with leadership. And what I mean by that is, in uh, the area that you stay in, it's up to the aldermen, you know, people like that, or community leaders to put it out there. And they don't. They don't. Sometimes it is political. It's out there. They know about it, but they really don't present it to the people in a way where they will actually pursue it. Um, and my thing is that's not fair. It should be put out there, and maybe uh, uh, at a place where it could be like a, a community, a community center, and they have a meeting or something, and they let the people know that it's out there. You know they let people know the same way they were letting people know about those stimulus checks or other things or they can qualify for money and all this other stuff use that same tenacity and put those programs out there to notify people listen if your son or daughter or even you if you're interested in this or that this is what's going on we have mentoring program for screenwriters or novel writers or artists whether they are um graphic design, musicians, you know, things like that. It, it, it should be put in place for stuff like that. You know, things like that, it's, it's just not accessible in certain communities. And I don't like that. And I think it should be. I think people should take the time to remember where they came from, those that made it, and reach back, and just invest a little bit in the community and put programs out there like that.
1: Thank you so much for that. That's a very uh, good advice. Uh, I believe that people that are listening to us, those in the position of authority who can help, should please listen to it. If they can help, they should help. And because we all need each other, no one can do it alone. Right. All right. Thank you so much for that then, Nina. Now, how can people reach out to you? Because you do have books there, uh, so you do have something you can offer. So uh, share with us, how can people reach out to uh, connect with you?
0: Well, uh, like I said, my books, they are on Amazon. I sent you the links, um, and by all means, please post the links. Um, they can definitely do that. Uh, just, just buy my books and hey.
1: <laughs> all right, you hear what Nina is saying. is very important. Uh, she has a trusty book that are available on Amazon. Why not patronize the sister? We all need to help each other. That is why we are here. All right, so what would be your final message here to terminate the conversation?
0: My final message, I would say, don't be afraid to be who you truly are. It's okay to be different. There's nothing wrong with being different. And um, what I'm telling you, I tell my children, um, always, always be the unexpected.
1: (laughs) That's powerful. Thank you so much, it's been a pleasure here.
0: Thank you, thank you for suffering me with the tech Knowledge. I told you what my son said. Smartphone, but the person, not so much. You know. So.
1: <laughs> if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review overhead podcast, and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obihe A14. Thank you so much for listening, and talk to you in the next episode.